It's time now for today's edition of Community Conversations. It's the interview program in which we dialogue with voices from the Omaha community. And here's your host for Community Conversations. Let's welcome Cammie Carlisle. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Community Conversations. I'm Cammie Carlisle and today we have Eric Ewing, Executive Director of the Great Plains Black History Museum with us. Welcome, Eric. Thanks so much for being here today. How are you? Good. Good morning. Thanks for inviting me. Appreciate uh, having an opportunity to talk about the museum. Absolutely. Now, we have a lot to talk about in a short period of time. Before we get to all things museum, I know our listeners would love to find out a little bit about you. And I peeped your page on the museum and um, you have a lot of degrees. A lot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You must like school and learning. Uh, yeah, I guess I, you you can say that, you know, but I was making sure that uh, there was less opportunity to be told no than than yes. So, you know, with the education, it's yes. harder harder not to not to get a job than it is to get a job. I hear that. So tell me, with all these degrees, how how did your career path take you to the museum? Well, uh as you're looking at my degrees in education, none of it is in the uh, area of uh, of museums or in anything along that line of history or anything. Mm-hmm. But, uh, of course, I'm retired military, retired from the uh, Navy after 20 years. I worked at that time in the healthcare field. And so, uh, you know, I don't I don't particularly like the hours of medicine. So once <laughs> I retired, I needed to move on and do something else. And then I, I've, I've taught at a couple of institutions and I still teach as an adjunct. But um, my biggest reason why I've gotten to this position here was I wanted to work in the community in which I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this was an opportunity to, to become the executive director here was provided to me. And I said, well, and then I'm also a fixer. I like to fix things that aren't doing well. So it was an opportunity to uh, to to fix this and and be part of something bigger than myself and, you know, something better for the community or greater for the community. Sure. Well, I think you have found the perfect job. Now, I stopped into the museum last Friday because I can't believe I've never been there. I mean, it's just shocking. But I stopped in and it was busy and people were engaged and I got to tell you, you are a master orator. I mean, I was enthralled from the minute you started talking about everything the museum was about. And when I left, my head was just so full of so many things. So here we are. So tell us. So Bertha Calloway started the museum about yes. 40 years ago. Is that about right? Yes, uh, 1975. Okay. Okay. And so she grew up in North Omaha. Is that correct? I Yes. I Yes. Okay. So she... She started it, I read, with her husband. They bought the Webster Telephone Exchange Building to establish the museum. Now, I just saw on the news that that particular building isn't doing so hot. It's kind of falling apart. And there's so much history with that building, right? Yes. Yes, it is a historical building. Uh, Recently, our our board, you know, has voted to... uh, to gift that uh, building to the Bertha Calloway, uh, Bertha W. Calloway Foundation with the okay. hopes that they can utilize it and, you know, uh, refurbish it and have it, you know, continue to serve as something for the community and also, along with the museum, be a, a part of her legacy. Sure. 
Yeah, that would make sense. Fingers crossed that happens. In the yeah. meantime, you are set up. The museum is open. Like I said, it's busy. One thing I read, too, is that in a 1996 interview, Calloway had said people must see black history in order for the images they have of black people to change. That's what the museum is all about, revealing a history that's been withheld. And that is true. You know, Eric, I grew up here and there were so many things that you shared that day that I was like, how did I not ever? Why was I never taught this? You know, and I and I think we know why. So. Let's talk a little bit about this museum. And like I said, it is just an amazing collection. And what can you tell me about more about the museum and what the goals are for it being around today and where it's been, all that good stuff. Fill me in, yeah. would you? Well, uh, right now, of course, we're, we're located in a historical building itself, uh, the Jewel Building, which mm-hmm. was the home of the Dreamland Ballroom. Upstairs was the... Uh, where all the jazz greats played, you know, from Dizzy Gillespie, Nat King Cole, Louis Armstrong, Preston Love Sr., Ella Fitzgerald, and just various other artists, you know, when they stopped in, 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 stopped in Omaha, they played at the Dreamland, and they also played at some of the other venues along the 24th Street Corridor. That's amazing. That's amazing that all those people came here. I'm like, I came way too late. But that's amazing. So with this historic museum and all the history in it, tell me, why do people need to come here? Well, you know, I always uh, now I only it's only plagiarism if you do it in academics and you don't you don't give your uh, site your reference. But I met uh, the um, curator for the military section of the African-American Museum in in Washington, D.C. a few years ago. And he he stated that. First and foremost, whenever anyone comes in here, what they're going to learn about is American history mm-hmm. told through the lens of African-Americans, because everything we're going to talk about and we're going to, we're going to discuss occurred in America. So mm-hmm. it's it's history and it's information that I that I believe African-Americans need to be aware of. But it's also history that all Americans need to be aware of. And if you're even a person visiting from another country, you need to be aware of. Because it, it, it's important for us all to know the contributions of everyone, not just some, but everyone. Agree 1,000%. Yeah, so basically, if you're human, come to the museum. You yes. will learn a lot. I mean, I still am just, I just can't believe so much has happened here in Omaha, just even in Omaha that we weren't taught about. So there were a lot of things that did happen in Omaha. Do you remember any particular historical moments that maybe you saw or were involved in that would be considered well, part of the black history? Well, uh, I guess at the time going through it, you would, you don't necessarily won't necessarily look at it as being a part of history. Right. But uh, the thing I tend to reflect back on was the, when here in Omaha, when they decided to integrate the, uh, the public school system, I was a part of that, uh, that first year, uh, I was a ninth grader. Oh, now okay. I'm giving I'm giving my age by saying I was a ninth grader, uh, and actually I, we had moved from the area, mm-hmm. you know, and and so I was actually supposed to attend one of the other middle schools, but my parents were able to work something out. I don't know with the principal or with who, and I was able to continue to stay at the uh, the middle school that I went to, which was Horseman Middle School. It's now King Science. And I would take the city bus to school, but then I could take the 
school bus and it would drop me off on its way back out west. Ah. And so uh, okay. that was a pretty interesting uh, setup because, you know, you had uh, kids coming from uh, northwest Omaha, kids coming from southwest Omaha, just west Omaha. Mm-hmm. And then you had the kids that were still in the community. In some cases, the kids that were still in the community actually were bussed out to those schools out west or northwest. They were bussed out to, in some cases, uh, Morton or Beverage. Right. And and so so it, it brought, you know, kids, you know, from all different backgrounds in, into one building. And as I said, Horseman became a ninth grade center. We actually had three schools in one building. Whoa. There really? was an a, B, a school, a B school, and a C school. Oof. And I was I was an A in the A school, not because I was an A student, but I was just in, in the A school. And wow. so we all had our own sports teams, and I believe we all we shared uh, counselors and things like that. But uh, and I remember the principal pulling at the time I played played uh, football, and and he put he put all the black athletes, all the white athletes, into his office, mm-hmm. and he said that. You know, in order for this to work, it's going to be up to the, you know, the, the athletes to make it work. Because mm-hmm. as we go, everyone goes. And so it was, you know, kind of, we, we found out early that in order for this to work out, we needed to make sure we, we, it worked off, worked out off the field. Mm-hmm. So that was a pretty interesting event. And, uh, and what's even more interesting was my 10th grade year, because then I went to a school, Northwest High School, which I graduated from. Mm-hmm. And at that uh, particular time, it was not necessarily that uh, integrated. I think it was b- probably about a a 85 to 15 percent ratio. So it was kind of it was kind of different getting used to going into a classroom where maybe there were either one or two students that look like you. Right. You know, I was bused too. I was in third grade and I got bused from Jefferson down at 42nd Street up to Clifton Hill. Mm. And, and, you know, we had black and brown kids at Jefferson and I just didn't understand. I mean, I was fine with it. It was an adventure, right? And I made lots of friends, but I just couldn't figure out why third graders, like, what are we supposed to solve? We're just kids here, but we did it, you know, and that was interesting. And you and you probably didn't it to you it was no no big deal because it was just you and other kids. Right. It's the adults that make things like that a big deal. Yes. And and the, it's the adults that make it ugly. Yes, you're absolutely right. I loved it. I made lots of friends and I didn't mind it, but you're right. It's the adults. And that's where yeah. we have the problem is with the kids, with the parents that make the problems, right? Oh yes. Absolutely. So with that in mind, now, your dad, I think, was there at the museum last week, and so he has seen some things as well. With his upbringing, has he shared some stories or things that maybe he experienced in his lifetime here? Oh, yeah. He he shared some uh, stories, you know, when he was in the military, you know, uh, when he went down uh, to basic training and, and, and things, he was stationed down in, in the south, in, in Florida. And, of course, you know, Jim Crow laws and rules were were still in existence at that time. So it was pretty interesting 
how he said he had to navigate that that environment. You know, he didn't know that, you know, hey, you couldn't put a hat on your head. If you put that hat on your head, you either bought it or something else was going to happen to you that wasn't going to be nice. Right. You know, so he said it was it was pretty, you know, difficult adjusting to to that because Mm -hmm. he had he wasn't accustomed to it. Yeah, I can only imagine. So he came back up here then, and mm-hmm. here we are this day and age. And I always say this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Omaha is still one of the most segregated cities in America. And it's just stunning to me that it continues. The redlining, the redistricting. I mean, what can we do? Is there anything we can do other than speak up, vote? I mean, it's just so maddening to me. Well, yeah, uh, it... <laughs> I've I've been told the same thing to folks that are visiting from from out of out of town and interesting folks that are visiting from from the south. Mm-hmm. You know, will come up and 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 they'll say, "God, I mean, I feel like I'm down south." You know, or, or I've, I've stepped into a time capsule or something. Right. You know, uh, it. You know, I, I and I don't know if I said this when you were there, but I I always tell people, you know. We have no control over how pretty we are or how handsome we are. Mm-hmm. You know, we have no control. Over, we have no control over if we're tall, if we're short, if we're if we're brown skin, white skin, or whatever. We have no control over those things. That is true. But what we do have control of is what comes out of our mouth, how we treat another person. Mm-hmm. I say, what makes a person an ear hole is the person. None of those other attributes, those uncontrollables, have nothing to do with it. It's the yeah. individual that chooses whether to treat another person with respect or disrespect. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're absolutely right. And lately, I feel like humans have been not being so great lately. I've, I think we're seeing some really big ugliness lately. But back to good things, the museum and the fact that it exists. So there's so much in there that I would love to talk with you about. But again, time limits. But one of the things that really stuck with me was the Jim Crow laws and how you explained how the Nazi Germany guys were not even like, nope. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, there. And, I, and again, I can't remember the author's name, but I know it's, it was a woman. Uh, she wrote a book uh called caste basically the caste system and in her book she talked about she did research and found that uh in particular that nazi germany had thought about implementing jim crow type laws uh, but they thought those laws were too harsh (laughs) which uh you know is is when you think about some of the atrocities in which they committed right but they looked and they said that those things were too harsh. And I always tell people it's like uh, quick death versus death by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Jim Crow, Jim Crow is, is death by a thousand cuts. Right. You know, because it doesn't instantly kill you. But over time, it, it, it takes its toll and it eventually causes a person's demise. Right. Now, Jim Crow laws went away in 1968, but it feels like they're still around, right? I mean, there's still things that are done and said that I feel like, did they really go away? What are your thoughts on that? You you can implement a law. You can say, take a, make a law go away. 
But if the people don't then make those changes mm-hmm. as it applies to the law, then it's 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 not real. Right. It's moat. Right. So still kind of happening out there. So tell me, how does black history in America differ from the traditional story of American history? I mean, we know the obvious, but what are the other parts like what we have in the museum? Why? Why do you think this needs to be taught? I mean, we know the answer, but I would love to hear it from yeah. you. Well, it because, number one, a, in order for a person to feel proud or good about themselves or who they are or whatever, they have to know about their history. Mm-hmm. And not just their history, but history from people that look like them. You know, it's great to talk about Dr. King. Uh it's great to talk about Frederick Douglass. It's great to talk about Malcolm X. It's great to talk about President uh, Obama. Mm-hmm. But when you can bring it home and say, these people were actually in the city of Omaha, you know, for a young person to hear that. Right. You know, and hear that in in, in some cases, they were right within their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, that that changes, you know, that makes them not seem to be so, you know, abstract, but more right. or less like, wow, you mean Dr. King was here in 58? He was here in 61. And if you're living in Lincoln, he was there in 64. You know, uh, yeah. The fact that Frederick Douglass, you know, whose birthday was yesterday. Oh, uh, perfect. He uh you know, knowing that he visited the city twice, mm-hmm. you know, those are things that's like, you know, you can kind of feel proud about yourself. Absolutely. And for others to know that also lets them know that, okay, I can see your contributions. When we mm-hmm. say America as our America, it's, it then, then means all of us, right. not just some of us. Right. Exactly. As it should be. I mean, America is a melting pot. It should be all of us. This is a question that I'm not even sure if anybody can answer. But what do you think this world would have looked like if we would have just let the people stay in Africa? I mean, I can tell you, America, we wouldn't have as much great food. We wouldn't have half of the inventions we have. Right. Well, and not necessarily stay in Africa, but maybe get here via via different route. Right, on their own, wanting yes. to be here, right? Yes. I mean, I not, just feel not like... Not being kidnapped, yes. Yeah, exactly. And you had said something that just stuck with me about how how many people died on that journey, that if we were to stack them from the bottom of the ocean up, I mean, that mm-hmm. just, it's just, it's quite the visual, you know? Oh, yes. It's, oh, yes. it's really heavy. And how many people, not only did we lose on the way here, but as slaves that were supposed to be doctors, that were supposed to be this or that, Right. So it's just, it's, it's a painful history as an American. I mean, when I left the museum, like I said, it was just like, I just had so much in my head, but it was just like this deep sorrow. You know, I felt a deep, deep sorrow. So by 2044, whites are going to comprise less than 50% of the U.S. population. Now they're still going to be the largest racial group here, but they're no longer going to be a statistical majority. So what do you think this effect? I mean, I, we're already kind of seeing some of this, right? But what do you think this is, effect is going to have on race relations when the white people are no longer it? I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, 
it it's at one time or another we didn't look necessarily from a when it came to European Americans we didn't look at it from a color we looked at it from an ethnic background right and you know Irish Italian mm-hmm. and some of the other ethnic groups we looked at it from that standpoint right but as the European Americans that were from Britain and U- the UK that area realized that back even back then that they were going to be a, mi- a, mi- a minority mm-hmm. if we kept continue to count the census in which the way in which they were counting the census right and mm-hmm. so then they changed it to include those all ethnic groups that may be mm-hmm. from there so who knows uh there might be some way in which you know they they may look at uh, some other other ethnic groups or races and fact some figure out some way to factor them into the current uh, way of county so that way they stay the majority oh jeez i wouldn't I'm be surprised saying. eric i wouldn't I, be surprised I, I don't know you know, know or or we could just say hey look you know uh let those who can do, regardless of of race, gender, you know, religion, mm-hmm. sexual orientation. Let those do who can do, and the cream will the those who can will rise to the top, and that that would make America even better. You're right. I agree completely. So I guess we have to stay tuned for that. But it's a work in process for sure. So we're already almost down to about six minutes, and there's just so much more to talk about. So. All of the stuff at the museum, not all of it's heartbreaking. There's some very uplifting things like uh, the UNO studies, how people fought for that. And we got it. And I had no idea about that. And I went to UNO. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the 24th and glory. I mean, I had no idea we had that many athletes (laughs) come from here. I had no idea. So there's a lot of great stuff there, too. And, you know, what's funny is that this is going to sound strange, but George Wallace, local musician who I loved and adored. I had him play at a hotel I worked at once and it came up on Facebook. And the day I went to the museum, I turned around and there his, there was his guitar. And I thought, I'm supposed to be here today. I am supposed oh, to wow. be here. I, I know. know. Yes. Yeah. I was like, well, hello, George. Got your message. <laughs> Walker. Walker. Yes. Yes. George Walker. I'm so sorry. Yes, yes, absolutely. So tell me, let's see, we got about five minutes. So 2020, rough, awful year. 2021. 2022. Some of these events, a lot of this violence against Black people, how has this changed your feelings, your thoughts on America? Has it? It's a roller coaster ride. You know, uh, for me on a personal level, you know, it's one of those situations where, you know, we weren't, you know, everyone's dealing with the pandemic and the, the, the issues and problems with that. Mm-hmm. But then you, you, you throw light or you waking up people about the uh, events or the atrocities that have been occurring mm-hmm. and you throw that on top of, of a pandemic. So, you know, at least I felt myself, not only am, am I caring and, and concerned about the pandemic, but I'm just concerned about being me. Mm-hmm. You sure. know, uh, I, I tell people, you know, in some cases they come into the museum and what they see, you know, they can leave it at the door. 
and continue on with their day and say, oh, that's horrible. Right. But whether I'm in the museum or, or not, I can't leave it at the door. And so it always I have to always be cognitive of my environment, you know, and I can't just be me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's, that's heartbreaking. Oh, yeah, but it, it you it's, know, and, it's America. Yes. And then, you, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you in some cases you're talking about some of the ugly parts of history. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you in trying to educate people when you're talking about some of those ugly things and events, you also unknowingly you you you're yourself traumatizing yourself. Right. And, you yes. know, and you, you at least I had to, you know, kind of do some things to to not let it weigh so heavily on me, you know, uh, outside of here. But mm-hmm. I still still knowing that these are issues in which have to be addressed. And I say this is a moment, an opportunity now where people are awake and they're realizing that these ugly things have occurred uh, or are occurring. And we need to ensure that we don't allow everyone to go back to sleep and get comfortable and wanting to go back to the old normal. Right. I tell agree. people all the time, I don't want to go back to the old normal. Right. No, no, thank you. You know? Yes. And so uh, I'm just hoping that we stay awake and we all learn together and we all move forward together. Because as they say, you know, stronger together than we are apart. Right. Yes, we are. And boy, what a division we have now. We can only hope that things get better here for everybody. Right. So, Eric, we got about two minutes. Tell us where the museum is located, hour of operations, all that good stuff. Yeah, we're located at 2221 North 24th Street, as I mentioned earlier, in the old historical Jewel building, uh, right across the street from the Omaha Star. We're open Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays from 1 to 5 by appointment. If you like to visit uh, the museum, you can uh, schedule an appointment by going to our website, which is gpblackhistorymuseum.org, and you can schedule an appointment. Uh, and later on this year, I believe it's around March or May time, but May or April time, we'll, we'll be opening Wednesdays through Saturdays from one oh, good. to five. Okay, great. Good to know. Well, I've encouraged everybody I work with here to go, and I encourage all of you listening to go. It is an afternoon or a day, whenever you go, that you're not going to forget. And it is all of our history, like you said, and it's important that we know this. So thank you so much for taking care of us at the museum and having this history available. We really appreciate it. And again, I hope that Omaha will get there and see this and not just for black history month. You're open all year round. This history is always available. So 365 days. That's right. So go visit Eric. I swear you will leave with your head just full of so much knowledge. It's amazing. Eric, thank you so much for your time today. And I hope to come visit again soon. I'm Cammie Carlisle. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. Thanks so much for tuning in. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. It's the interview program that brings you voices from the Omaha community. The Radio Talking Book Network is brought to you with the cooperation of KIOS-FM in Omaha and statewide through the facilities of NET Radio and Television. We've been proudly serving our blind and visually impaired listeners for 46 years. Thank you for being a loyal Radio Talking Book listener and supporter.